welcome back to the Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. I'm Justin. I'm Josh. And I'm John. Oh, we got John back again. Yeah. So John has been gracious enough to, uh, well, join us for the second time because of this special episode. Yes, thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today about some holiday films, or I should say... Are they? Are they holiday, holiday films? films? So be prepared for a lengthy one and probably some heated conversations. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, running off Christmas weight or Thanksgiving weight here at the gym, put it on. You'll get about an hour run, I would think, today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll run. Depending on how fast you're going to run, you might run a half marathon. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So before we do that, though, before we get into that fun conversation, we're going to talk about what we just nerded out on. So I'm going to go first. I've been watching and I'm obsessed with these shows, the DC... uh, um, CW shows. I feel like this is every what I just nerded out on for you. Well, this it seems is like, like, and this is like a continuation of the episode that I was just on. Because I feel like yes, I mentioned them there. <laughs> it's because there are so many of them, and now they have these mini little like crossover events. So the one I just watched was it's called Elseworlds. I'm a couple seasons behind because I have to watch the whole season at once, which we'll get to more in a second. I'm a binger. Why, why is snobby? Josh, Josh that's, is that's so you. Yep, that's a hill to brand. Well, I, I know this, so this is not do, a surprise. Do you to watch? Me. Do you watch an episode at a time? It depends. Like if I find something good, then yeah, I'll watch it an episode at a time or a season at a time. If it's not a, if it's not a completed series. See, I am just so worried about spoilers. If I'm sitting there and I'm watching a show and I'm just, oh, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. It'll get spoiled for me. So. Yeah, I don't care about spoilers. I read everything about everything anyway, so I've already been spoiled for every show before I even watch it. So it doesn't matter to me at all. So why even watch it? Because I still want to see it. Oh, okay. I want, to put, I want to be able to have my own opinions, as I will have today about things, but also I want to know. I want to know all of the information. Okay. Elseworlds. This is the crossover event from a couple seasons ago. It's between the shows Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. You guys don't watch any of these shows? I do no. not. No. God, come on, guys. Lambert, you watch Smallville. No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. He is back week. on tomorrow night, I saw. Spoiler alert. Yeah, so that's... Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. Okay, okay. let's talk about Elseworlds. Basically, this is the fifth Arrowverse crossover, and it features, like I said, The Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl. They're all in this, on the CW. And Elseworlds introduces the characters Batwoman and Lois Lane, and it kind of ta- takes place a little bit in, in, in Gotham City, which is pretty cool. Uh, Green Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl girl are drawn to Gotham City to confront this Dr. John Deegan... Um, while he's working at Arkham Asylum. So it really just does a really cool amount of like kind of um, paying homage to like all of these different DC stuff in the universe. And Elseworlds, the story was created by Greg Berlanti. He's the executive producers and writers from each series, Jeff Johns and Caroline Dries. Mark Guggenheim acts as the showrunner. The air dates, a crossover began on December 9th, 2018 with The Flash. It continued on Arrow on December 10th, and it concluded on Supergirl on December 11th. And you really are about a year behind, aren't you? Yeah. I am. I'm a, I'm a whole year behind. <laughs> so it stars Grant Gustin as Barry Allen, or The Flash. Stephen Amell, Amel as Oliver Queen, or Green Arrow. Tyler Hocklin? Hocklin. Hocklin as Clark Kent, Superman. Melissa Benoist as Karen Danvers or Supergirl, and Ruby Rose as Kate Kane or Batwoman. Now, question to you, Justin. Does this, is the DC Universe on uh, the CW separate from, like, the Justice League Universe, or are they together? There's, oh, you mean like the... Like, like the, you know how, like, Daredevil went with the Avengers loosely? The DCU. Like, so the, yeah, yeah, the DCU. No. It is DCEU, whatever it is. It is not okay. part of it. Um, but I, I have this theory that it's going to be. So this the newest crossover is called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Have you guys heard of that before? No. Yes. So the, the whole idea is that basically it's like a it's like a re, reboot of everything that happened in the comics. Um, if Verbi was here, the Superman guy. Well, and that's why I know about it because he yeah. – he knows more about Superman than I could ever hope to know about anything. Yes. So he'd tell you a whole lot more about this. But basically, this was a chance for the comics to really kind of like hit the restart button. And that's why they're bringing back in this new one, this Infinite Earths. They're bringing back Brandon Ruth, who's playing Superman. Um, they're bringing back uh, Tom Welling, who's playing Superman. So all these different Supermans from all these different Earths. And then eventually it all like something happens and it all becomes like one Earth. 
anyway, that's the next crossover event. It's happening right now. I'm not watching it yet till it's over with. So I'll I'll report back in, in about a in year. A, in a few in months. about a year. Well, as soon as they <laughs> drop the whole season on Netflix. All right. There have been other crossover events, as I'm just mentioning. Um, that one's coming out right now. There's the one recently was Crisis on Earth X. Um, it was kind of funny. It was like it was an invasion, but it was Nazis. Anyway, it was it was, it was very interesting. Before that, the second, the third one was called Invasion, had Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. The second one was Heroes Join Forces, and then the first crossover event was just Flash versus the Arrow. So that was when those two were like the main shows that came out. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm like really into this. Um, it, 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 this introduces the character Monitor, who is in the Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline, and it sets up Batwoman that hasn't really gotten that many great reviews. Um, and it also sets up a new show that's going to be called Superman and Lois. So, yeah. Very exciting. Megan is a fan of Batwoman. But then again, she loves Ruby Rose. Batwoman, really? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it was fine. She's fine. I, I haven't watched the show Was yet. that Alicia Silverstone and uh, the terrible Batman and Robin, Batwoman, right? Uh, yes, that would be correct. Yeah. Batman and Robin. Classic bad movie. With Chris <laughs> O'Donnell. Yeah. Oh, Chris O'Donnell, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. I mean, just the list goes on. Yes. Okay, so for me, I have been watching Ray Donovan. Either of you guys watch that show? Love Ray Donovan. Yeah. yeah. Have not seen the most recent I'm, season. So but I'm a it's, year behind. It's I'm, being, it's recording right now. Yeah, I rewatched, I'm on season six, where he just moved to New York, is where I'm at. So. Spoiler alert, jeez. Oh, well, what, are you, what episode, what year are you I'm on? I'm on the second episode of the show. So. Oh, okay, well, it's like eight years ago, so. Oh, so is there a statute of limitations? <laughs> yes. It's on me now, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so summary, Ray Donovan is a professional fixer for the rich and famous in Los Angeles. He makes people's problems disappear, except for those created by his own family. It has gone for seven total seasons. It debuted June 18th, 2013, so I guess six years, on Showtime. Um, it was created and written by Ann Biderman, who also did NYPD Blue. Awesome show. And it stars Liev Schreiber as Ray Donovan, who was in The Manchurian Candidate. Um, he's in X-Men's Origins as Wolverine. Also, Eddie Marsan as Terry Donovan, and he's from 21 Grams and The World's End. And John Voight as Mickey Donovan uh, from Mission Impossible, Pearl Harbor, and 24, a show that I have not watched. And Great Justin show. Might kill me for understand. saying that. I don't understand That's one that. of the greatest shows. Paula Malcolmson as Abby Donovan from Deadwood, and Catherine... Monig as Lena from Gone and the Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah, so over thoughts, I, I love this show. I just got Showtime on Amazon Prime, so I'm kind of catching up on all my Showtime shows. Plus, it took me like five months to finish Outlander, so I'm kind of getting caught up on all my other shows right now. But really, really great show. A lot of well-acted scenes, cool storylines. So check it out. I do have to say that whenever I hear Liam Schreiber, and this isn't really very fair, but I always think of his brother, Pablo. Pablo Schreiber, do you guys know who that is? No. No. I'm showing you a picture of him right now. You guys can't see this, obviously. But he's porn stash from uh, from Orange is the New Black. Um, yeah, no, and he's also in um, American Gods on yeah. Stars. He is great, too. He so is great. we got to shout out his brother. Though. Yeah. Yes. I, didn't, I honestly didn't know that was his brother. I know. I look, they don't look anything alike. They don't. <laughs> so, <they're>, anyway. <laughs> So uh, what I just what I am nerding out on currently is The Mandalorian. Uh, the Mandalorian is a show on Disney Plus, and it's set after the fall of the Empire, before the emergence of the First Order. The series depicts a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from authority of the New Republic. So, if you don't know what that means, what he just said, where it takes place after Return of the Jedi, yeah, and before. The three that are concluding in about two weeks, and hopefully the, the third one is a lot better. Then we won't we won't get on that right now. But well, probably be what we just nerded out on the next episode because yes. we're seeing it. We're all seeing it in a week and a half. Yes, yes, two weeks, whatever. Nerd is a new cool. We'll be at the movie theaters. Just know that. So. <laughs> we'll do a live podcast yeah, from the movie from the theater. We'll see if, how long it takes for us to get kicked out. So we'll yeah. While it's yeah, while the movie we'll just is playing, bring microphones in and headphones and see what people say to us. Just live, act, just act normal. Live stream commentary, and then order the food from the seats, which is why we're going to that theater. Anyway, Mandalorian debuted November twelfth, two thousand nineteen, on Disney Plus. It was created and written by John Favreau, who we've talked about before. Big actor in Swingers, <sighs> Iron Man, Spider Man, Chef. And he also directed Iron Man and Iron Man 2. 
It stars Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, and he's in Game of Thrones, one of the greatest characters on Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Narcos. Yeah, he's good. We all made some really weird yeah. noises there. Yes, he's sexual. That's okay. <laughs> that character is great. He's fantastic. He's amazing. <laughs> and he's in Narcos, which is also a f- fantastic show. Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Carl Weathers as Grief Cargo. I mean, we all know Carl, right? Rocky, Predator, most famously, Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. Uh, he's also in Arrested Development. Oh, I need to throw that out there. Okay. He's is he always, really? He's like trying to, he's always trying to get uh, Toby to play, to pay him money. Okay. Is it Toby? No, not Toby. I, I, it doesn't yeah. matter. I have not watched Arrested Development. <laughs> I'm like blanking so. on his name mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And then Gina Carano as Cara Dune from Deadpool. What do you think? So, I mean, it was... It's the reason why I bought Disney Plus because of this and then some of the other Star Wars stuff. And right now, I don't know what to think of the show because I don't really you. I, I watched episode five last night. You don't really know what it's about yet. Isn't it about babies? Well, it's about babies about? And, and Baby Yoda. Yeah. But it's not really about Baby Yoda. But it's 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 like you're jumping in in the middle of a story. Yeah. And. You don't really know what's going on yet. You're starting to get some little pieces of background information on the Mandalorian himself, but yeah, I agree. I'm I'm kind of confused as I watch. I'm only on episode three right now. It's kind of confusing. So it's entertaining though. It is. So I'm and he's keep... cool. He's such a cool actor that he can make anything cool. Mm-hmm. So I watched four episodes in a row last night. Yeah. That's that's how for me it was kind of addicting. <clears throat> I don't know. Well, and they're thirty-minute episodes. A lot of them, yeah. so it's really easy to. They're like thirty binge. or forty minutes. Yeah, it was easy to binge, and I am planning on binging the next four during winter break. So there's that. Anyway, I think it's decent. All right, so on to the meat and potatoes of the show. All right, we're going to talk again. Is it a holiday movie? So the first thing we before we kind of get into that, we really need to just think about like what makes a movie a holiday movie. So here are some things that we kind of thought you should think about as we kind of go into this. Um, does the time of the year of the movie matter? Like when is it when it's set, right? Uh, does the timing of when it's released matter? Does the title matter? So if it's called like Jingle All the Way, that kind of classic Christmas movie. <laughs> well, uh, what about the soundtrack? Like what about the music? Is, is it is it Christmas or Hanukkah or any you know Thanksgiving themed? What about the genre of film? So, you know, when the film is classified as a whatever it is, a comedy, family, does that matter? Yeah, and from, from a theme perspective, like joy, learning, friendship, friendship, love, are those the type of themes that are typically, you know, in a holiday movie? And then, like, yeah. what needs to be there? Does there need to be snow? Does there need to be a Santa hat or other religious items? Does it need to be background? Like, does it have to be Christmas decorations in the background? I don't know. That's what we are wanting you guys to think about. So, Justin, what is your criteria? Well, so I've got a few things. I think that for me, the timing is big. Like, so when the film is taking place, like, like the setting of it, I think that's that's huge. So, I I don't. I just came up with an arbitrary number. Seventy-five percent of the film has to take place during a holiday or during the holiday time of the year i don't know if that's like a, a scientific number that's just for me about three-fourths of it i'd like to see some elements of traditional holiday stuff but like that could just be like a tree or like a decorated tree or lights or snow or whatever i, I like to see some of that stuff but again you don't see all of it if it's in los angeles maybe but just some kind of again paying tribute to a, a holiday other than that i really don't care yeah okay <laughs> so for me Kind of like with Justin, timing, it needs to take place during a holiday. For example, you guys seen Daddy's Home, the first Daddy's Home with Wahlberg and Farrell? I did not. They, no. Okay, it's funny. They have a like a Christmas scene, but it's set in August, so like that's not a Christmas movie for me. Mainly if it happens during Christmas, I count it. But a big thing for me is I'm kind of a Christmas nerd. I love Christmas time. And if, if it's not Christmas time and I'm watching a Christmas movie, I get sad because it's not Christmas time. So for me... Would I watch it at other times of the year? It's kind of like my big criteria. That's fair. And for me, um, you know, I agree with you know what what you guys said was that does it take place during Christmas? I think if it's got if it's going to be a Christmas movie, it has to take place during the holiday season at some point. And then, usually for all of these, or at least when I think of a Christmas movie, is there some kind of 
resolution and reconciliation, like an emotional resolution. Like I was going to say a conflict resolution, but that's not really quite it because some of these movies do have conflicts and it's not really has anything, doesn't really have anything to do with the holiday season. But I will say for me, a lot of it is subjective. Like some of the, you know, some movies just feel like holiday movies, whether they're traditionally considered holiday movies or not. And some movies just don't feel that way. Right. You can't really put your finger on why. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some traditional holiday films. I think these are kind of, I mean, I guess you could argue some of these, I suppose, but most of them are pretty much not disputed. So we've got uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That's a big one. We've got A Charlie Brown Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, I'll Be Home for Christmas. These are all, these are all pretty much a t- pretty typical theme. Uh, the Santa Claus, Christmas Carol, White Christmas, and the shop around the corner. And these are all, I mean, you could probably say a lot of these are kind of family. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe they're, a little bit of comedy in there, but they're kind of lighthearted. Christmas that's, classics. Yes, that's a yeah. good term for them. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to non-traditional holiday films. Number one here, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Agreed. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with that too. Yes. Wow. Total agree. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of this one, Home Alone and Home Alone 2. I've introduced my daughter to those movies, and she loves them. Eight Crazy Nights, Jack Frost, Christmas with the Cranks, Deck the Halls, Jingle All the Way, Love Actually, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Star, great movie, Elf, Scrooge, and A Muppet Christmas Carol. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in the top three for me is going to be Scrooge. I, I, oh, I, I watched it last weekend. Movie. It was awesome. Yeah, it's, so good. it's still really good. I mean, it's a nice little different telling of, of uh, a Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, right? And it's just great. Yeah. Sorry. And then here are some controversial films that we are not going to discuss in this episode. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. But we do encourage you, by the way, to argue these with your friends and family. And I'll have to watch this. During the holidays. I think I'll have to watch this one again because this wouldn't have come up on my controversial list. Uh, that's Harry Potter, that is. Mean Girls, Rocky, You've Got Mail, Iron Man 3, Bad Santa, Edward Scissorhands, Reindeer Games. Ben Affleck. It is called Reindeer Games. I mean, that's, <laughs> and there's snow. That's, I guess so, so, I don't there's know. Snow. It takes place during the winter. Son-in-law, Trading Places, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Just Friends. Just Friends, wow. I, I, I There's so many awesome movies in this list. Like, I don't even... We could argue all of these mm-hmm. until we're blue in the face. But those, that last list is honestly like my favorite group of films of the other three categories, personally. Okay. So, first movie to argue. First movie to argue. Die Hard. We've all seen it, obviously. So, general info, plot. An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. It was released on, and this is a big thing, July 20th, 1988. It was directed by John McTiernan, Predator and the Last Action Hero. Uh, it was written by the novel. Nothing, the, the original novel was actually called Nothing Lasts Forever. It was written by Roderick Thorpe. He also wrote The Detective that starred Frank Sinatra that came out in 1968. So this is the sequel to that. And the screenplay was written by Jeb Stewart, who also wrote The Fugitive. And Stephen E. D'Souza, who also wrote 48 Hours. So kind of pretty big heavy hitter writers there for the 90s or 80s, I guess. Well, yeah, and you can kind of see that with with this script where you have, like, The Fugitive, which is heavy action, heavy suspense, and then 48 Hours, which is, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy, so it's kind of comedy. And you can see some of those yeah. comedic mm-hmm. – like, you can see the comedic elements – Throughout the script with Bruce Willis, and yeah, well, they did that on purpose, which we'll get to when we talk about nerd facts. They're, they're trying to make they were trying to make it humorous. Cause that's what Bruce Willis was known for. Yeah. So it does star Bruce Willis as John McClane, Bonnie Bedelia, Bede- Bedelia as Holly Gennaro McClane, also from Parenthood, Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, known from Family Matters, Paul and Paul Gleason as the WT. Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson from Breakfast Club and Van Wilder. I love, I love yeah. Paul Gleason. He's it's good. William Atherton as Richard Thornburg from Ghostbusters and Real Genius. Alan Rickman, great actor, as Hans Gruber, and he's from Robin Hood and Harry Potter. 
Alexander Godunov as Carl. And he's in Witness in the Pit, on the Money Pit. Okay, the taglines. On a good day, he's a great cop. On a bad day, he's the best there is. And then 40 stories, 12 terrorists, one cop. Can we just say how class, I mean, how many amazing actors there are in this film? I was just thinking the same thing. Like, William Atherton, like, he plays such a good jerk. Like, yeah, he's in Real Genius and Ghostbusters, but, like, oh, what was the other movie he was with Pauly Shore? Uh, uh, Biodome. Bio oh, he Dome. was in Biodome, that's right. He's the bad guy in Biodome, too. He's always a bad guy, and he's, and he's just so good at it. Uh, I mean, they're in the rest of this list, too. Anyway, incredible. So, let's talk nerd facts. We've got a lot of them. We may even throw a few more back for these uh, actors. Uh, Clint Eastwood actually originally owned the rights to the novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, um, and he planned to star in the film in the early 1980s, but obviously he didn't. Some other people that were considered for the role before they landed on Bruce Willis were, were Richard Gere, Robert De Niro, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, and even MacGyver himself, Richard Dean Anderson. It was funny, because I think they all would have been great, but it's so hard now, after seeing Bruce Willis in it, you just can't picture anybody else. Like, that's the funny thing. When you see all the, the great actors yeah. on that list, you're just like, no, nobody but Bruce Willis could do that. Which is even funnier, because this was his first action film. Yeah. He was known as a comedic actor, a television star. Yep. And this basically began, launched the career of the acting hero we know of, of Bruce Willis. Which, isn't that hilarious? Because I can't picture anybody else doing this role either. But at the time, no one could picture Bruce Willis doing mm-hmm. this role in the first place. I think he was known for moonlighting. Moonlighting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the yep. book was actually out of print when the film was released, considering it came out in the 70s. The fictional Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. A company charged itself rent for the use of the then unfinished building. <laughs> Since the Fox Plaza building was partially filled at the time of filming, people were in the building trying to work as the filming was going on. According to McTiernan, the crew was having to repeatedly apologize to the workers who complained about the noise from the gunfire. Yeah, they had to, like, set up. I just watched a documentary about it, and they were talking about how they had to plan different scenes during certain times of the day when when employees were not there, which is just (laughs) hilarious, right? Well, and a lot of the scenes took place at night, so I'm sure hopefully that helped out a little bit. But that was a whole other thing. Then the neighbors started complaining, so they had to film. They had tight windows of scenes where they could film certain things because of the explosions. Noise violations? Noise violations. People were complaining about that, too. That's awesome. And the reason why they had a lot of the construction scenes is that the top of the building, 20th Century Fox, was currently being worked on. So it was like this construction site that they're like, oh, this will be a cool place to film it. That's why it looks like a construction site, because there were actually unfinished floors of the building. No, so it just kind of worked out with the story. They're like, this is already open. It looks like an unfinished floor. We'll just write that into the script. Yeah. (laughs) So in an article for the 30th anniversary of Die Hard, Bonnie Bedelia stated that the first thing she thinks of when someone mentions Die Hard is Alan Rickman. The two became friends and had lunch together every day while shooting the movie. She expressed how lovely and gentle Rickman was in real life. Yeah. I mean, he was a classically trained like theater actor. This was also like his, I think this was his first. I think this was yeah, his first, first movie. First I think I read we'll see, that. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, the character Harry Hart Bachner, his line, Hans, Bubby, was totally ad-libbed. And Alan Rickman's, uh, his reaction was very genuine. Director John McTiernan found it necessary to cut away from Hans Gruber's face whenever he fired a gun because of Alan Rickman's uncontrollable habit of flinching from the noise and muzzle flash. And uh, if you can, when you see, look at Rickman's face when he shoots t- uh, Takaji, you can see him wincing from it. Hmm. It's and true. Then, I, just, I just watched it again recently, and he does wince. I'll have to check it out. The scene where Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman met up, that was actually unrehearsed because they wanted to create a greater feeling of spontaneity between the two actors. And then the, only a couple of the actors who played German terrorists were actually German, and only a couple more could speak broken German. I, go ahead. I just love this last fact here. The actors were cast for their menacing appearances rather than their nationality. I guess all Germans are supposed to be menacing and scary. So, right. yes. Just well, I should say that the character that played Carl Alexander Goodenough, he was actually a ballet dancer. <laughs> and I don't know how they found him, but they said he looks like a bad guy, and he's very elegant. And so, like they. 
that help with the choreography with the fight scenes at the end when he fights McLean. So, fun fact there. That's a really tall ballet dancer. Very tall <laughs> ballet dancer. He's got the long, flowing blonde hair, too. And yeah. speaking of tall, nine of the 12 terrorists were over six feet tall. And the scene where McLean falls down a shaft was was a mistake by the stuntman who su- who was supposed to grab the first vent as it was originally planned. He slipped and continued to fall, but the shot was used anyways. It was edited together with one where McLean grabs the next vent down as he falls. Yeah, that's like a really cool scene. Not done on purpose at all. <laughs> uh, extra loud blanks were used in a few scenes to create a better level of realism. But when one was shot off too close to Bruce Willis's ear, it actually led to permanent hearing loss, and he has two-thirds hearing loss in his left ear because of Die Hard. We already mentioned that this is Alan Rickman's first feature film, but he was actually 41 at the time when he debuted in this film. That's a, that's a really old age to start like your acting career as far as and, like feature films. he play. had a great movie acting career, too. There's a lot of classic Alan Rickman films out there. That's yeah. like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So there's still time, guys. Yeah, yeah. there's still time. <laughs> You're what, 40? Over there? Shut up. Yeah. Move okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the look of surprise in the classic shot of Gruber dropping down the side of Nakatomi Tower was not just great acting. He prepared to take the 25-foot drop, but instead of dropping him on three like they were supposed to, they dropped him on one. I love that. Yes. I don't know. Like, if you're Rickman, are you mad? I don't know. That's a good I question. Think I, I did read that he was he was kind of annoyed, but also when he saw, saw the playback was like, that's pretty great. Yeah. It's very genuine. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, probably the most iconic image of the movie, I think, at least in my opinion, is when he walks through the glass shards in his bare feet, he has on, Bruce Willis has on special rubber shoes designed to look like his own bare feet. You can see it if you look closely at his feet because it's, they appear naturally large in some of these crucial barefoot scenes. You can actually see like it's a cut. of It looks like an extra foot on his foot, which is what it was. All the Germans are going... She's in, she's in Defensta. What? <laughs> Shoot the glass. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Well, German. I sh- I, sorry, Hair Cody. I totally butchered that, but anyway. That's okay. So, speaking of glass, the movie's production spent about $130,000 on glass alone. And on Alan Rickson's first day of shooting, he filmed the scene where Hans Gruber first runs into John McClane. Mm-hmm. He made a jump off the ledge about three feet high. He injured his knee when he landed and damaged some cartilage in the knee. He was told by his doctor not to put any weight on the leg, and he had to use crutches for a week. For the rest of the scene where Gruber is standing and talking to John McClane, Alan Rickman is standing on one leg for the entire time and has a leg brace under his pants. That's why there's not a lot of walking around going on. But he's injured. When the police dispatcher tells Sergeant Powell to investigate the Nakatomi building, she calls him... She tells him that it is a code two, and this refers to an urgent incident where sirens are not to be used. Ironically, Bruce Willis was born on March 19, 1955, in West Germany to an American father and a German mother. That's kind of a little bit irony, I guess. Uh, this is what I find super interesting. Frank Sinatra was actually, like, op- they had contractual obligation to offer the role of, of, of McLean to Frank Sinatra because of the first movie he was in, The Detective. But he turned it down because at that time he was 73. So Frank Sinatra actually said, when he was in The Detective, said, I want, I want the sequel to happen. And then it didn't happen for like 30 years. But they ha- the studio had to offer it to him because it was his idea or whatever it was. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So in the original script, as in the original novel, the action took place over three days, but John McTiernan was inspired to have it take place over a single night by Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. And then the bear, John McClane, buys for his daughter and is the same that Alec Baldwin buys for his daughter in The Hunt for Red October. I think that's a pretty cool fact, that's actually. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, the line, yippee ki motherfucker, oh, is used oh, oh, oh. all five. <laughs> family, family show here. <laughs> Sorry, we should have edited that. that yes. was not edited out. <laughs> Kids bleep your ears. Sorry, guys. It's okay. It's <laughs> hey, a conic uh, line. Yes. I'm, hey. I'm, I'm just like Anchorman. Whatever you put on the page, <laughs> I'm going to read. I'm Ron Burgundy. It's used in all five Die Hard movies, although the end of it is bleeped out in the PG-13 cut. It is heard in the unrated version. The yeah. Li- so the, the, the gunshot, the effer, that, like, that's when he goes, Yippee-ki-yay, mother effer. Like, that's when a gunshot happens. So you can't hear the word 
I'll be honest. I don't even think I saw the last Die Hard movie. Is that the one with... Um, Which one is that one? He's like cyber terrorism or no, something. No, that was the one... Was that where his like kid gets kidnapped a, by the Russians? That's a good day to Die Hard, right? Yeah, I just... I no, but then there was one with his son after that, and I think that's the last one. Oh. Yeah. His son is Justin Long in the movie? No, no he's in... He's, he's in a the, hacker. He's, he's a hacker. Yeah. That's when his daughter gets kidnapped by people that are trying to... Timothy Oliphant is in that one. Yeah, he's good in that, too. He's good in everything. He is good in everything. Yeah. <laughs> but that line was voted as number 96 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premiere in 2007. Pretty, pretty awesome line. It is a great line. So... By the way, we should mention the line too. The reason why that was written is that the the writers were really big into um, cowboy movies, and so they kind of that was like a throwback to a line they used to say during like those western television shows, like Yippee Kaye. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, okay, so what makes this a holiday film? What are some things that that you, why would you consider this a holiday film? It's Christmas Eve. I mean. Yep. The, the only reason part. why the only reason why people are in the building is because of a Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. so they tie the setting of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is also a resolution, so to speak. There is a there yes. is a there is a reconciliation between him and his wife. Yes. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a resolution to the entire like. Yeah, Hans is reconciled. You yeah. Know, so yeah, they the, defeat the, the, the terrorists. Lose, mm-hmm. yes. but they're not terrorists. They're just bank robbers, that's or they're right. just they're yeah. just thieves. We don't want them to be. They're not terrorists. They're not terrorists. No. Distinction to be made there. Who said we were terrorists? <laughs> um, so, I'll go ahead and give you my vote. Yes, this is definitely a holiday movie, in my opinion. I think because of the time that it exists, because of the situation, circumstance in which they're all there, they do a lot of. There's music, Run DMC, yes, Christmas and Hollis. I mean, there's just so many things that make this uh, a holiday film. So yes, yes for me. One hundred percent. This is a Christmas movie for me too. Just for all the reasons you just said, it's Christmas Eve. They're at a Christmas party, so yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Not very it's, spicy argument. Here. It's it's <laughs> well. I mean, so I I I honestly went back and forth on this because you know trying to trying to you know adhere to the criteria, but there are too many elements of the movie, like as you just stated, like when it took place, the soundtrack, the setting. The reconciliation, like multiple re- reconciliations on multiple levels. Um, he's he's in he's in town to see his family on Christmas. Like yeah. that's why he flew in. And he just happened to go to this holiday party, and all hell breaks loose. So I, I can't say it's not. And we we could even take this a little bit. Let's talk a little more abstract. Like he he's estranged from his family. He comes in town. He does something really nice and sh- demonstrates. You know why he's an amazing husband, yeah. and they get back together again, and they live happily ever after. Don't worry about the way he demonstrated his yes. usefulness to the mm-hmm. family. That's not that's irrelevant. But he does do yeah. it. He does. So I don't know if we'd call it a family film, but really, it's definitely not. There's a some family, family elements yeah. going on here. All right. Well, we're all there yes. Are. That was an easy one. Yeah. But I mean, not for most general public. A lot of people argue this one, but for us, yay. So now let's move on to our old individual choices. So I have chosen this film called The Ref. And <laughs> I just absolutely love Dennis Leary. And so this film is about Dennis Leary. He's a cat burglar. He gets abandoned by his partner in the middle of a heist and is forced to take an irritating Connecticut couple, played by Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis, hostage. Um, and basically he finds himself in this incredibly dysfunctional family situation while holding them hostage, the in-laws come in town for this big dinner. It's this whole thing. And basically, he ends up having to act as like a psychiatrist, but also actually turns into a psychiatrist with his family. And then hilarity ensues, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's released on March 11th, 1994. It was directed by Ted Dem, who is in Blow, Life, and Beautiful Girls. It was written by Marie Weiss. She wrote the story. And Richard... La Gravenice, he wrote the screenplay. He was he wrote Freedom Riders and Behind the Candelabra. It stars, as Justin mentioned, Dennis Leary as Gus, which is Rescue Me. Great show. My wife and I are still watching that right now. Mm-hmm. He was an Ice Age and Demolition Man. Judy Davis as Caroline. I had to put Demolition yeah. Man on there, of course by the you way. Did. Yeah. That's <laughs> Edgar Friendly. Edgar <laughs> Friendly, right? All restaurants are Taco Bell now. <laughs> Judy Davis as Caroline. 
Kevin Spacey as Lloyd. He was in House of Cards and The Usual Suspects. Back when we people liked Kevin yes. Spacey. This is we early don't like in his him career. Anymore. He looks really yeah. young. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is mid '90s. So yeah. yeah. Robert J. Steinmiller Jr. as Jesse from Jack the Bear. Glennis Johns as Rose, who was also in Mary Poppins. Poppins. Richard Bright as Murray, who was Al in The Godfathers. And Christine Baranski as Connie from Chicago and Mamma Mia. And the tagline is, he takes them hostage, they're driving him nuts. Yeah. So I'm glad that all of us watched this film beforehand. Did you, before we talk about nerd facts, what are your thoughts? I, I love this movie. Did you like it? It, well... I'm a huge Dennis Lear fan yeah. like you. I mean, it just it was like I was watching Tommy Gavin take somebody hostage and like deal with their problems yeah. because Tommy Gavin may be my favorite TV character. He's in the top five. Yeah. And I, I, I was crying during this movie. It was so funny to me. Yeah. I loved it. it. It was. So I, I thought the same thing where I was I wasn't quite sure if I had seen it before, but I knew I wanted to watch it before this. And like I. It's like this is a movie that I have to start watching more and more of. Like I need to watch it more often than, than yeah. Than I, have. I don't want to give it away, but I'll probably be watching it every year during a certain time of the year for yeah. me. So yeah, it's because it's so funny. It, it, it's one of those films that's totally underrated and people don't talk about it, but it is ridiculously funny. It is really funny, especially if you appreciate Dennis Leary's humor. So and his fa- my favorite line from the film, he says, he's, he's yelling at his at, at the mom. He's like, lady, you are so mean. That you're spo- aren't mom supposed to be nice and loving? And he says, lady, your husband ain't dead. He's hiding. <laughs> and it's a direct quote of a line from the classic Abbott and Costello routine, uh, Susquehanna Hat Company. I totally butchered that probably. That's okay. But I, it's funny because I say that line all the time, and I didn't realize it was from Abbott and Costello. Pretty cool. It was the film debut of J.K. Simmons, speaking of someone who started acting at an older, older age at 39. J.K. Simmons was great. And it appeared on Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best movies that you've never seen in the July 16, 2012 issue, which... I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It totally... Like I said, totally underrated. A lot of people haven't seen it. And as soon as you see it, you're like, yeah, why have I not seen this Mm -hmm. film before? I'd be curious to see what else is on that list. Oh, you're right. So early in the film, Lloyd asks Gus what his name is, and Gus answers, F you. That's my name. But he Mm -hmm. says the word. (laughs) This line was more famously said in Glengarry Glen Ross two years earlier, which also starred Kevin Spacey. When this was released originally in the UK, it was called Hostile Hostages. And their marriage counselor, the couple sees, is named Dr. Wong. This character is played by the actor B.D. Wong. I picked up on that instantly. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what did they? Is that just lazy writing or I don't know? Probably. <laughs> John Skirty plays Lieutenant Steve Milford. Went on to play Lieutenant Kenneth Lou Shea in Rescue Me alongside Dennis Leary. Also plays. a great character in Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Leary, in typical Dennis Leary fashion, ends the film doing his iconic stand-up shtick ranting on Murray. The movie, was on te- the movie on the television watched by the cops at the station is It's a Wonderful Life. Yep. Okay. So is it a holiday movie? So... I'll go. I went first last time, so you guys. I I will go. This is one hundred percent a holiday movie to me again, because I mean it's the family's in town for Christmas. It's there's a lot of Christmas elements in the movie. You're talking about again reconciliation at the end of the movie, but there's snow. There's so much Christmas in the movie that I could not watch this at another time of the year because I'd be like, oh, I wish it was Christmas time. So for me, it is a holiday movie for sure. Yeah, they're opening up presents on Christmas Eve, yeah. and they're having Christmas Eve dinner, and and so this was one that I was on the fence about because I hadn't I had seen it, and now that I have seen it, I, I do agree that it, it is a Christmas movie. There's too many elements of Christmas, and you know, uh, I, if I'm using my own criteria, there is an obvious like emotional reconciliation. Yeah, you know, at the end of the movie, not only like multiple, actually, because right. they, they they like get they have their kid that that's that's also blackmailing like his headmaster. Yeah, the kid's yeah. awesome. <laughs> the kid's he's great. he's got these pictures of him. He's I mean, it's a totally just weird and like twisted version of like how this family comes together, but it totally happens. Yeah. Uh, 
um, even Dennis Lear like make makes amends with his buddy, you know, his his his, uh, his partner in crime basically. Um, and then of course, you know, Kevin Spacey, him and his wife are basically going to get divorced and estranged, and now they're, you know, I, I, there's just a lot of that. There's a lot of that going on in in a weird roundabout way. And the timing, yeah, during the holidays, that's why they're all together. It's this whole family terrible family dinner. I'm voting yes too. Wow. Justin is normally like anything you say he'll argue, but it, you know it's just like a Christmas movie now. We all agree for the second well, time. I know. This is not – well, you know what? We'll have to argue about the next couple. Mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to argue about this. Speaking of the next movie, Lethal Weapon, the first one. So general info, plot, Martin Riggs is an L.A. cop with suicidal tendencies, and Roger Murtaugh is the unlucky police officer – with whom Riggs is assigned. Together, they uncover a huge drug smuggling operation, and as their success rate grows, so does their friendship. This came out on March 6, 1987, which is before Josh was even I born. made sure I added that in here for you guys, yes. so you know. But in case you were wondering, I was not that, I'm not that old yet. Yeah. So. Uh, it was directed by Richard Donner, who also directed Superman the original. Superman the movie, 1978. And it was written by Shane Black, who also wrote Lethal Weapon 2, and another another favorite movie of mine, The Last Boy Scout. That is a good movie. That's, that's got to be on this list of 50 movies that people have never seen. I'm not sure it's considered that great, but it it's very entertaining. I like it. Okay, so it stars Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs. He's in The Patriot, Braveheart, We Were Soldiers, and Danny Glover as Roger Murtaugh, shooter in 2012. Gary Busey as Joshua from Point Break and Black Sheep and Entourage, the TV show. That's right. Let's not forget he's in that, too. <laughs> and Mitchell Ryan is the general from Gross Point Blank and Liar Liar. Yeah, he's a, he's a Jim Carrey's boss, right, in Liar yeah. Liar? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. So the tagline is, after 20 years on the force, police detective Roger Murtaugh has come face-to-face with the most dangerous killing machine in Los Angeles. His new partner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie, it's I'm too old for this-ish. And, and mm-hmm. he's, just always, he's always talking about retirement and everything else. And it's just, I don't know. I like it a lot. Yeah. So let's get on some nerd facts. <clears throat> Mel Gibson, before I mentioned Bruce Willis, we talked about how they were considered for each other's roles. So Bruce Willis was considered for Lethal Weapon, and then Mel Gibson was considered for Die Hard. Both of these movies were produced by Joel Silver, Willis was offered the role of Martin Riggs, but then he turned it down, and he did Die Hard. Gibson was considered to play John McClane, along with his co-stars from The Expendables 3. Harrison Ford, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they all turned it down. Coincidentally, the script for Die Hard with the Vengeance was written as a lethal weapon sequel. Isn't that funny? I, 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 I love Die Hard with the Vengeance. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the second best one. Yes, the original is the best one, and then yeah. two might be the worst one. Well, we all know about remakes, and uh, never mind. It's not a remake; it was a sequel. That's true. It's a sequel, so it's a little better than remakes. You know, we yeah. I won't get on that rant. If yet. they reboot Die Hard, oh. I, Josh, I will be right behind you. Okay, I'll, I'll, I will be. In your, I saw in some your rumors camp. they're talking about rebooting Back to the Future. Not, I'm not okay with that. Okay. Just, maybe, maybe, but you're okay with Lion King being rebooted. Maybe I just don't have the sentimental connection because I'm so old. You are old, so old yeah. When it came out. That's true. Mulan, I saw the trailer for that one that's coming out right now, and I thought it looked really cool. Okay. I have to admit, that movie is going to be a little different because it, the trailer looked cool. I don't know if I can bring myself to see it. You guys know my emotional connection to the Mulan movie, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm considering breaking my rule for that one movie. This might be what brings Josh to the dark side. Yes. Oh, I'd just say give it time. I don't know how old we'll be, but you're going to see reboots of all of these movies because yeah. it's just it's just how it works. But they're never They successful. run out of good ideas, so it's like, well, this was a good idea, so let's just do it again. It's been let's 30 years. Let's do it again years. live action. It's been let's 40 years. Let's take the same script, take the same <sighs> thing, and just, oh, here, we'll, we'll redo it again. This Anyway. This should have been the argument. I know. We'll have to argue this at some point, the yeah. reboots, and I, I, I bring examples of ones that worked and ones that did not work. Oh, they're, for example, they're... Scrooge is one that worked. <laughs> Batman is one that worked. Yes. All mm-hmm. right. So there are a lot of good reboots. But those are different movies. When I, my frustration is like Lion King is almost word for word. Supposedly, I haven't seen it. It but... wasn't a reboot. It was a remake. Yeah. I'm not a fan of remakes. 
Like they're redoing, remaking Aladdin. It's, yeah. Anyway, I didn't see either of those. Neither so did I. That's okay. So. I did. <laughs> I didn't. Aladdin was fine. All right. We, we're sorry. We got. We got. We're getting. Let's get back we're on we're track. long enough already in this podcast. We're back on track. We're to leave the track. weapon. So in the scene where Riggs is contemplating suicide, there is an actual blank bullet in the chamber where Mel Gibson was pointing at his head, thinking it would allow for a greater sense of portraying this scene realistically and dramatically. So casting director uh, Marion Doherty, uh, first actually, she's the one who suggested teaming Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, and she arranged for Gibson to fly in from his home in Sydney while Glover was flown in from Chicago where he was appearing in a play to read through the script. So that's how they kind of, they met. Yeah, on E! True Hollywood Story in 1996, Gary Busey says he was hired to play Joshua because they were looking for someone big and menacing enough to be a believable foe for Mel Gibson. Busey credits the film for reviving his failing movie career. He's a, he played a really good, scary, creepy He was villain. a good villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He was but that villain. scene where he's like lighting his arm. Joshua, come here. He just lights his arm. Yep. He just sits there and takes it. I'm like, all right. That's all right. He's a good bad guy. So this is actually the first movie to show a modern cell phone. It was a portable Radio Shack Model 17-1003 circa 1986, which was close to the filming dates of the movie. Yeah. So speaking of the two leads, they were signed by early spring 1986 and then Mel Gibson and Danny Glover then flew home to pack and returning to Los Angeles began began an intensive two months of physical training and preparation. There's a lot of physical stuff going on in that film. They had to be had to be jacked, ready to ready to run through the streets. Yeah, Mel Gibson was only 30 when the movie was filmed, but his character Riggs is 38 in the movie. I didn't realize that. Mhm. Well, and yeah, I didn't realize that his character was that old. Right. I think I think I knew Mel Gibson was young, but I didn't realize his character had to be almost like. Well, his character was my age. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Well, you don't seem, you don't seem that old. Thanks. Neither do I, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Glover's character, Sergeant Robert Murtaugh, is fifty years old in the movie, but Glover was only forty years old in nineteen eighty-six. Wait, Glover was only forty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Movie makeup, man. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess so. Murtaugh tells Riggs that Hunsucker, Hunsaker, Hunsucker, Hunsucker, doesn't matter, saved his life in the Lodring Valley in 1965. Aya. What? It's an I. That's an I. Not an L. Hunsucker. Yeah. Oh, Just go ahead. Oh. Okay. No, the Aya oh. Drang. Not La. Oh, not the Lodring. History nerd. In the Aya Drang okay. Valley. Yes, Thank you. Very good. Yes. No, that's good. We should be accurate. In the Aya Drang Valley in 1965, Mel Gibson would later play Colonel. Al Moore in We Were Soldiers, which was an adaptation of that battle. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's a great Full movie. Full circle. Great movie, great book. Didn't read the book, so I've seen the movie mm-hmm. a few times. That was a, I mean, that was the time when he was, I mean, wasn't Mel Gibson like under scrutiny for making some... I think a little later in his career. Oh, okay. This is right. right after The Patriot in 2002, so... That's right, yeah. He, um, we still liked him then. So group discussion, what makes this a holiday film? So... It definitely does take place. Part of it does. In fact, the final scene especially takes place right around Christmas. I mean, the car goes into the house, into Murtaugh's house. Knocks mm-hmm. over the Christmas tree. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that, there, there's the scenery there. There is, there is some, uh, there's definitely some resolution <laughs> uh, in a way. And also, if we want to talk about, like, character growth and development, like, Mel Gibson's character, Riggs, like, kind of comes to Jesus, so to speak. Like he, He's like very suicidal and, and sad, and he, he get, kind of gets taken in by this family, the Murtaugh's, right? So there's that going on. There's a Christmas song played in the movie. There, are there some, is? Yeah, mm-hmm. there is. Which one? Oh, gosh. It's at the, it's the final credit scene. Jingle oh, okay. Bell Rock. Okay. It's been, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. What, yeah. what do you guys think? What else? Um, It's in L.A., so there's no snow. That's so, okay. Yeah. Same thing for Die Hard. No snow. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do you? What do you? So I started last time. Justin went. So what do you think, Lambert? I do not think this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. I would not consider this a Christmas. Movie. Sure, some elements of you know it, the last scene in Christmas. But when I and again, this goes to more of the subjective nature that I was talking about. 
when you can f- kind of feel it and sense it and kind of know it's a Christmas movie. Like, I actually didn't think it was even considered to be a Christmas movie until, like, we started putting this podcast together. Like, it never would have came up on any of my lists of, like, debating is it or isn't it. So I yeah. I do not think it's a Christmas movie. And not to be anticlimactic, but I agree. I don't think this is a Christmas movie. So <laughs> I, I, I I agree too. Yeah, I don't think uh, it is either. <laughs> this, know, next time we gotta like text each other before we say, pick one that you think and I don't think. But yeah, I I would watch this movie at any time of the year. I have. I've watched it before different times of the year for me. So there's just not enough Christmas elements in the movie for me to consider it a Christmas movie. No, I agree. Yeah. And it came out in March, mm-hmm. again, before Josh was born, and well, it takes place during the... But not, Again, I'm going to go back to my 75% rule. I don't even think the whole movie is really taking place during the, the, the just, holidays. Just like the very end. It spans yeah. a couple weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, back to my rules. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm sticking with no. Man, there's no arguments. I think we argued more about the uh, the CW... Pro- and, the, and the remakes. And the, and the remakes. And remakes, yeah. yeah. We'll get back. We'll just argue about that mm-hmm. from now on. All right. Yeah, fourth choice. That. Lambert, what do you got for us? So the fourth choice, maybe. I feel like we're going to have some arguments here. We might have some arguments I'm gonna, here. I'm going to say the opposite of whatever you two say. All <laughs> right. Just for – you're just going to play devil's advocate no yes. matter what. Uh, movie number four, Gremlins. Mm-hmm. So Gremlins, uh, plot is a gadget salesman is looking for a special gift for his – son and finds one at a store in Chinatown. The shopkeeper is reluctant to sell him the Mogwai, but sells it to him with a warning never to expose it to bright light, water, or feed it after midnight. Of course, all of this happens, and the result is a gang of gremlins decide to tear up the town on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Um, it, uh, it released in June 8th, 1984, and it was directed by Joe Dante, who also directed the movie Inner Space. Yeah, it was written by Chris, not Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus. I'm a history teacher, you can tell that's just what I think. Chris Columbus, a screenplay, he wrote Goonies. He was the director of Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Adventures in Babysitting, Missed Out, Fire Nine Months, Harry Potter, The Sorcerer's Stone, and The Chamber of Secrets. So he's yeah, been in a lot he's, of credits. He's actually, like, that was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. That, he'd done all that he films. had done, he, he's had a... And I think I read that like this movie kind of, kind of, you know, was like the jump, like the springboard for his career. Well, especially though, Home Alone. Oh, Home know, Alone yeah. really solidified him as yep. like a premier director. Yeah. Or writer. Yeah. So it stars Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer, who was actually in a movie called Nothing Lasts Forever, which is the book that was Die Hard was based mm-hmm. off of. But that movie had nothing to do with the book or anything like that. Right. Phoebe Cates as Kate Berenger, who fast times at Ridgemont High and Drop Dead Fred, and Hoyt Axton as Randall Peltzer, the father. I did some research on him. I couldn't find any other movie that he was actually in, but he did write the song Joy to the World that was made famous by the band Three Dog Night. What? Okay, all right. That's pretty awesome, Hoyt. So he was was more known as like a a songwriter than an actor. Okay. Uh, It also stars Corey Feldman as Peter. And we know him from Stand By Me, The Lost Boys, The Goonies, lots of other things. Two, two Corys. Yes. The Corys or whatever that TV show was. <laughs> Judge Reinhold as uh, Gerard. Gerald. 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 What is wrong with me? Gerald Hopkins, who we know him from Beverly Hills Cop, and also Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And just, I mean, he's just amazing, the judge. And also we know him from... Wasn't act was was it was it him was he in the Jay and Silent Bob? He was in the he was in the cartoon. Yes, I believe he was also in one of the Saint Bernard Beethoven movies. Really? Yeah, and like the third one. Oh. I'm really going to the super depth obs- of my knowledge of obscure well, is, movies here. That's but, super obscure. I just yes. remember him from Jay and Silent Bob's. He's the judge, so he's called Judge Judge Reinhold. <laughs> I mean, only I think it's that funny, but it's funny. Howie Mandel is also in it, which I this I found this super interesting. Howie Mandel plays the voice of Gizmo. Isn't that crazy? So we, most people know him from Deal or No Deal. I kind of think of this like as a Vin Diesel as Groot situation where like 30 years from now I'd be like, Vin Diesel was the voice of Groot? That's super <laughs> random. Why is he doing that? So no. Howie Mandel, Gizmo. Taglines. Cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, dangerous. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tagline of mm-hmm. the movie. So, so some nerd facts. 
the set for Kingston Falls is the same one used as Back to the Future, 1985, Hill Valley. And then in Cantonese, Mogwai actually means devil, demon, or gremlin. That's pretty cool. Originally, Stripe and Gizmo, that's like the antagonist and the protagonist of the Mogwais, uh, were the same character. This changed when executive producer Steven Spielberg insisted one of the gremlins be a good guy with whom the audience could identify. And I just love Gizmo. He's just the cutest. I, I wanted a Gizmo like growing up so bad, but I never got one. <laughs> you can get a Baby Yoda now instead. That's what I'm going to get. Oh, Baby Yoda. All right. This, this movie and Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom are credited with inspiring the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating. Many felt the movies were too violent for a PG rating, but not violent enough for an R rating. I mean, this movie's kind of violent. It it is. Like, people die. People get electrocuted. <laughs> These little creatures are like wrecking havoc, basically, and they're not. Anyway, it's it's really creepy. Well, I mean, it's a borderline horror movie. It is. It totally yeah. is a horror movie. And like the second Gremlins too, it's it's a little bit more friendly, fun, silly. Yes. Whereas the first, this first one's pretty dark. It's a little more serious. I yeah. would say it's pretty dark, but it's definitely serious. Yeah. So an earlier attempt to have monkeys play the gremlins was abandoned because the test monkey panicked when made to wear a gremlin head. I just can't imagine that. <laughs> I can't imagine monkeys playing gremlins like either. You'd think, like, right away, they'd say animatronics, you'd think we're going to do some type of dolls, which is what they ended up doing. In the bar scene, the video game the, gre- the gremlin is playing is Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, and in this movie, the Amblin Entertainment logo made its first on-screen appearance. I think a lot of people probably think that the Amblin logo came out around, I mean, with E.T., because that's what the Amblin logo is. It's Elliot on a bike with E.T. in his right. basket yeah. over a moon or whatever. But yeah, so this was the first one. At the start of this movie, the movie theater in town is showing Movies called A Boy's Life and Watch the Skies. These were the working titles for executive producer Steven Spielberg's E.T., released in 1982, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Third Kind, released in 1977. Steven Spielberg is actually is really responsible for the introduction of the PG-13 rating. As we said, both Indiana Jones and The Temple of Doom, which he directed, and Gremlins, where he executive produced, um, again... It, basically just back to like this whole MPA thing uh, and actually but even though Steven Spielberg was really focused on this and this is this is the motivation before or behind it on August 10th 1984 Red Dawn actually became the first movie to be released with the new PG-13 rating Red Dawn Red Dawn Classic. Patrick Swayze Patrick Swayze's first the Russians Wolverines <laughs> well and yeah. then you have the reboot of Red Dawn with Chris Hemsworth against the North Koreans I yeah. didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't see, see that, that one. I, yeah. I, and that's, I wasn't supporting of that. Mm-hmm. There are in- examples. But mm-hmm. Just to have this blanket statement that all reboots <laughs> are bad. And it shouldn't, I shouldn't say reboots. Remakes. I'm more against remakes. That was a remake. That was what that was. I know. I didn't see the original one until after, though. Mm. Guess I have to remember, I wasn't really born in the 80s, all so right. I didn't grow up with all these movies <laughs> that you guys did. So that's I was 89. True. Yeah. So That is your loss. That is your <laughs> loss, yeah. Okay, so the original Gremlin script written by Chris Columbus was a lot darker. For example, the Gremlins earlier ate Billy's dog, then decapitated his mom and threw her head down the stairs. Spielberg, director Joe Dante, and Warner Brothers were all in agreement that they should tone down the gore in order to make the movie family, the movie more family friendly. Yeah, cutting off cutting off her head and throwing and then eating a dog. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that in this movie now. No. All right. I'm glad they chose not to do that. Yeah. So Gremlins was actually planned uh, for a Christmas release, but Warner Brothers realized it didn't have a summer movie to put up against Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or Ghostbusters, and it moved up the release. The film performed well and ended up being the fourth highest-grossing movie of 1984 behind Beverly Gills' Cop, Ghostbusters, and Indiana Jones. Yeah, and at the end of the film, Gizmo saves the day by pulling up a window blind and exposing Stripe to sunlight. Originally, Gizmo lifted the first blind, followed by Billy. Spielberg suggested that the scene be edited so that it was clear that it was Gizmo, not Billy, who was the movie's hero. Yeah, there's that whole... Isn't that, is that the first one or the second one, that whole Rambo montage? I think it might be the second one. I think that was the second one. Yeah, but, but yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely the hero. So Gremlins did spawn a sequel, 
but recently there have there have been talks of a reboot but Columbus has essentially said, I don't think this is going to be possible. It won't work in a CGI environment. And he said, quote, those are edgy Muppets in a sense, and you don't want to lose that sense of anarchy that those gremlins had because behind the scenes are 25 puppeteers making them come to life. And I agree. The puppeteer aspect of it, component of it, is why this works so well. Absolutely. In August 2017, Chris Columbus completed the script for a third installment. Though the third installment does have an IMDb listing, no updates have been made to the page since summer of 2017, though Columbus did say that the movie would actually be a full reboot in early 2018. Only time will tell whether that happens or not. Yeah, it's, it's a sad that they, they had to completely change. In 2012, he says no reboot, won't work. 2018, yeah. maybe a reboot. Full Money reboot. talks. A season of reboots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reboot. So in then February 2019... Warner Media announced that it has greenlit an animated series based on the comedy. So. I'd watch that. I picture that like a Ghostbusters mm-hmm. animated type show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'd Jay watch and it. Silent Bob animated type <laughs> or Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. Is what are some things that might make this a holiday film? Well, it's on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it, it is set. In- <laughs> it is set in Christmas. Yeah, it's like the whole season. It takes place then. My, uh, you know, Gizmo was a Christmas gift. Yep. Yeah, there are a lot of decorations. I don't know if there's any music, really, but this whole idea of gift-giving. And it actually was supposed to be released in Christmas time, right. but then they switched it because of, you know, money. So what do you guys think? Josh, what do you think? Well, just by it being, you know, you're getting Christmas gifts, it was supposed to be released during Christmas, and it takes place all on Christmas Eve, I'm going to say yes to Christmas movie. And I'm going to say no to Christmas movie. Right. Again, more of the... More just in the subjective nature, knowing that it is taking place during Christmas. It's on Christmas Eve. He was a Christmas gift. It just doesn't feel like a Christmas movie. Like, yeah, there's, you know, the the gremlins are defeated by Gizmo. And then, you know, all, all is right in the world after they completely destroy the entire town. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't. It, I, when you think of Christmas movies, this doesn't come to mind and would never come to mind. I'm, I'm going to say no also. And. For all the same reasons that I said Die Hard is a Christmas movie, I think I'm saying the complete opposite here. Because, <laughs> yeah, and they really have that very similar feeling, but there's just something about it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because of these, like, these little creatures are just terrorizing this town and people are dying or being injured and maimed. And I don't know, I, I didn't have that same, like, like, what are some real lessons learned here? Like, basically, the lessons learned are read the instructions. Don't feed them after midnight. Don't get them wet. Don't get them wet. And don't, uh, well, and you better shine light on them if they turn into gremlins and they're bad. Because that's the way they die. So, yeah, I didn't have the same Christmas feeling. I don't think of this as a Christmas movie. Whereas with Die Hard, I do think of that as a Christmas movie. <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. Double standard. Because nothing says Christmas like killing terrorists. Yeah, so, yeah. Not terrorists. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bank robbers. Bank robbers. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the only one we kind of disputed, but really, I think it's not even really an argument. It's just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Good movie, though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, nerd outreach time. Yeah. So, we need to say thank yous first. So, we're going to, of course, thank our, our lovely guest, John. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming Thanks. on. Thanks for having me again. You guys, who do you want to thank, Josh? Obviously, I have to thank my wife and daughter for allowing me to be here today. So, thank you. Love you guys. Mm-hmm. Justin, uh, any thank yous? No, John gets to go. Oh, do I get to go? Um, I don't really have anybody to to thank. Again, same same reason as last time. I mean, I'd thank Megan, but she's working, so like, yeah, it's she's not. not this anyway. She's not listening to this anyways. But I will say that. The, since since this is you know we have two history guys here today is a very important day that is very true in justin history. do you know what day it is it is Dece- it's not it's it's matt's birthday it is december 7th it's my brother's birthday yes it that is who i was gonna thank guys you guys ruined it so <laughs> thank you to matt being born today well. uh today is also um i do know what it is and i'm blanking right now completely <laughs> oh. I already listened to this speech once this morning. Got us into World War II. Oh, it's Pearl Harbor Day. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, okay. So if you if you haven't, it's it's actually something that I do every single you know this day on every single year. I listen to the infamy speech. 
So if you haven't, you should listen to it. Just it's it's a nice little piece of history. There's it's a crystal. You can actually see video of FDR giving the speech to Congress, and it's just. I was a history major because it's important to know where you came from, mm-hmm. and it's a constant reminder to understand like why why we got into World War II and kind of set the stage for where we are today. Definitely, well yeah. said. If you have any future so- show suggestions. Send them in via email to nerdisthenewcoolpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the hashtag nerdisthenewcoolpodcast on any of the socials. And uh, if you have any disagreements with us as far as any of these films being holiday movies or not, we'd love to hear those as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And how to, oh, go ahead. Oh, how to contact us. You can like, you know, like or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, which is at nerdisthenewcoolpodcast, and follow them on Twitter at nerdisthenewco2. You can hear us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You just search us at Nerd is a New Cool Podcast, and we'll be there. So we should say before we sign off here, look forward to our next episodes. We're going to be doing like a TV series breaking down film or TV shows of each decade. So we're going to start with the 50s because that's really pretty much the first decade that uh, had TV and uh, work our way up to the current decades. Yeah, so. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. We have some very special guests coming in February, too. We do. Yeah. We have the misses coming in. Yeah. And that'll be fun to hear. If you want to hear the host get made fun of for an hour. What I'm going to be excited about is Josh thanking his wife to her face. (laughs) And then I'm curious. I'll take pictures because I'm sure there'll be tears involved. It's going to be real sappy. Is she going to thank him back? No. No. (laughs) I didn't think so. Not at all. All right. Well, thanks for listening as always, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.